Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast by the Wound Care Learning Network. I'm your host, Steve Burquist. We've got special guests with us today that I'm very excited about. Uh, you guys know that we're actually able to do some podcasts right in this time, right before the upcoming virtual SAWC meeting. So I'm hoping you listeners are going to already have signed up for the upcoming SOC, SAWC meeting, that's going to be virtual. And today's podcast is actually a little preview of what's to come, because my special guest speakers with me today are um, both uh, Emilia Kroll, who is a great vascular surgeon. Uh, she completed her surgery residency at Danbury Hospital in uh, Connecticut and vascular surgery fellowship in Norfolk, Virginia. And she does complex aortic repairs, limb salvage procedures, all of this in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, working with um, Robert Klein. So Amelia is also a clinical associate professor there with the uh, Prisma Health System. And Rob at the Vascular Health and uh, Alliance Wound Healing Center there at the Papewood campus in Greenville, South Carolina, you know, board certified, the podiatry surgeon guy, the guy that works on feet for 28 years, special type of person to do all of that. We love it. And these two have put together an upcoming SAWC presentation. And as I get to sneak preview and look at it, it's pretty amazing. You're going to really enjoy it. So today we can talk about it a little bit. Those are my um, folks that are with me here. Rob, Amelia, glad to have you all with me. Say hi. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Hi, very good to see you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you all today. Uh, it's going to be great. Well, let's, listen, let's jump in. We've got some uh, fun things to, to look at in, in this. You've got this presentation coming up on the diabetic foot ulcer, saving limbs. Uh, what, you know, when we're looking and going, what do people actually deserve? What can we get to those people? And as a wound care physician, uh, like you guys, I see it day in and day out where there is need. And from the wound care perspective, I have to rely on you, my surgery professionals, my vascular interventional professionals to help me help my patients. Uh, and in your case, also your patients. So when you're working with this, when you're looking at people and just trying to decide how aggressive and what, et cetera, what's the first thing, Rob, what's the first thing that comes to your mind uh, when you're looking and thinking, do I give Amelia a call? Do we go into the blood vessel here? What, what are you thinking when you look at people? Well, flow is incredibly important to me. Uh, if there's a plumbing problem, no matter what I do for the patient, uh, they're not going to do well. Uh, so uh, pulses and arterial studies are uh, extremely important for me uh, when I see a patient that's wounded. Uh, and if they have any abnormal uh, vascular studies, uh, Amelia is my go-to person to take care of it so I can get these wounds closed eventually. Amelia, if I was with you, if I was in South Carolina, um, wind? When would you want me to 
send you a patient to look at their plumbing. When I have a ABI less than 0.9 or when I have a actual physical abnormality or uh, when I have a, a finding on ultrasound, where, where would be the point as a practitioner where you want to give me advice and say, you should be calling me already? So that is a great question. Um, usually I would say only people who have clearly two plus palpable dorsalis pedis and posterior tibial pulse um, are the ones that I am not, I don't necessarily need to see. Um, the, the paradigm for the longest time was that we do not do angiograms for people with palpable pulse, one pulse in the foot, that the one um, inline flow to the leg uh, from one vessel uh, is enough to heal um, any wound on the foot, but um, that does not necessarily have proven to be true. Um, and uh, there is an angiosome concept that indicates that certain people have circulation that depends only on one vessel. Um, the, uh, even people with palpable pulses who have wound that has not responded to traditional uh, methods of treatment, I'm happy to see them. Um, just to see if there is something farther on the um, on the uh, angiogram or on the duplex that we are not actually picking up with the ABI. Um, some people can have an iliac lesion that only shows up with exercise, but they can't exercise with their with a wound on their foot. Um, some people, as I said, can have a wound that's dependent on an angiosome uh, blood supply. Um, the beauty of working with Rob is that we are very close to each other. Our offices are right next to each other, so we can just uh, swing by and take a look at the, uh, uh, you know, each other's patients, which helps us a lot. Now, I, I get to see the presentation here ahead of time, so I'd like the folks listening to know that uh, you've done a beautiful job of laying out, even diagramming out of which blood vessels are feeding which regions, the angiosomes, uh, so that we can have an idea. You know, you've clarified this muddy water in a beautiful way on that presentation. So I know folks are gonna want to uh, take a peek at that. I often have patients that I really want them to get some more intervention, but they're on the borderline with their kidney. So it's not like they're already dialysis and there's no kidney to save, and yet uh, we've got to be very thoughtful on doing my angiograms and, and getting them checked out. Where do you, so I'm still with you, uh, Emily, on, on the vascular work there. Where, where do you, how do you fit those folks in that were watching their kidneys close? Do you want to do a, a CO2 type of uh, uh, angiogram or just uh, hydrate ahead of time? What kind of things do you want to want us to know there? So, um there are a couple little tricks um, that you can do. Um, and I am pretty aggressive with uh, uh, you know, being uh, diligent about the kidney function. It's actually a part of my uh, intake note on every single patient that I see. Um, people who have uh, kidney function that's mildly elevated or people who had a prior episode of uh, acute kidney injury that even now resolved, um, I use uh, minimal contrast. It's, um, it's a little trick that I learned in my um, fellowship is you use uh, extremely diluted contrast, basically one cc of contrast and 10 cc's of saline and um, set your machines for a CO2 mode. 
um, and that gives you a very good picture. Uh, you can also do um, an intervention or do uh, angiogram with only CO2. Um, again, there are certain tricks. You need to inject your CO2 slowly so that it um, allows to fill the whole entire vessel. Um, it's not going to be as fast as, as the contrast flow. Um, some people say it's difficult to do uh, tibial interventions with CO2 just because of the um, picture of being perfect, but um, if you have good equipment um, and know the technique of injecting the gas, um, it's, it's possible I have done this. Um, Dr. Um, Enrico Asher in New York area does his peripheral interventions under ultrasound guidance and under ultrasound imaging. Um, I have not done that, um, but there are institutions who don't use radiation or contrast um, in their in their imaging. These are great, you know, great things for us to be thinking about. And, and Rob, you're, I mean, you've been handling these foot situations for 20 to 30 years here. Uh, after a while, we get to see these wounds that they should be healing. We've got good flow on ultrasound, they're not healing. You and I both automatically recognize that we've got small vessel disease and if it's the, you know, the outline of what we've got, how do you approach the folks with some small vessel disease that's keeping them from healing and we're not really getting the flow there? Do you have some ideas uh, for us there? Well, you know, that's a really tough uh, 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 scenario. Uh, and a lot of times these patients sometimes fall into palliative type patients. Um, if my vascular surgeons have exhausted all measures and these people are just so severely calcified, like many of them are, uh, uh, some of those folks fall into palliative type patients where they may have to live with a chronic wound. I tell them that we can treat a chronic wound and hope that we uh, prevent soft tissue infection or the infection extending or the wound extending further onto the foot or developing a, you know, limb-threatening infection. But palliative care, there's definitely a place for that in wound care. Uh, not every patient is going to go on to closure. And, and I think sometimes you have to have realistic expectations for those patients uh, and, and you know, let them know that, hey, listen, you might live with a chronic wound, but as long as we can keep you free of infection, ambulatory, um, and with the limb on where you can do transfers or walk, uh, that might be the best that we can do. Yeah, that's, uh, isn't that the sore spot in our hearts for our patients, really? We, we don't want that, and yet that is the reality. Well, I've got yeah, chronic patients. That, that is exactly. Well, when you're looking from a surgical standpoint and looking at the structure of the foot and thinking if you could make some adjustments in a, a tendon release here and take some pressure off in their gait, is any of that safe when we've got patients that are already not healing from, uh, you know, vascular disease already? Because the thought of cutting further, and me as a wound care physician that has to refer everybody that needs surgery to you guys, um, per se, you guys being the surgeons, where, where do you want to draw the line between a little intervention may be helpful, I know it's higher risk, versus I don't want that? You know, the first rule in medicine, as we all know, is do no harm. So uh, that, that's always uh, in the back of my mind when I talk with potential surgical intervention uh, for patients. Uh, minimally invasive procedures, uh, flexor tenotomy, say there's a distal tip lesion on a toe, um, minimal flow, uh, but 
you know, toe pressure is somewhat satisfactory. Uh, I don't have problems doing flexor tenotomies. When we start getting into reconstruction where we have to put hardware or, or do extensive bone uh, resection and create a larger wound than what they presently have, I, I kind of draw the line right there. Uh, once again, trying not to do harm, but hopefully helping the patient out at the same time. I think that's where aggressive offloading comes in sometimes. And, and I, I think sometimes we miss the mark with aggressive offloading. We have prosthetics and orthotics within our, uh, within our wound care center and at the Vascular Health Alliance. So we're pretty much one-stop shopping. Uh, so for patients that maybe don't fit into that surgical criteria, I think using aggressive offloading for those people is critical. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. On, on your intervention, when you're working on that blood flow, um, for us that are the wound care practitioners that are not doing the intervention themselves. And the patient's asking us, you know, are we going to get a stent? Are we going to just, are they just stretching my blood vessel with this balloon? Or what are they going to do to me? And at my end, I'm saying this is the discussion you've got to have with the vascular surgeon. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking they don't need a stent unless they can be on uh, two anticoagulants, you know, for a while. And, and those are the kind of things going through my mind. But is there a big difference in outcome? I see some of the charts in your presentation when you're talking about uh, balloon versus a stent versus your different interventions. Uh, sort of fill us in on where some of this fits in for us. So um, I, first of all, strongly believe uh, in explaining to my patients um, how my thought process is. Uh, a lot of people come to my office telling me, oh, the previous doctor put in a stent, so that means I need a stent again. And it's sometimes difficult to explain to them that um, it's not necessarily what they may need right now. Um, they uh, kind of um, equal uh, a stent or a thorectomy or how they call a rotor rooter um, with a better outcome. Uh, so I spend a significant amount of time talking about different options and why I, I offer something or I don't. Um, there, are, there are different philosophies to um, which intervention uh, those people get. Um, I am a strong believer <clears throat> in the data and not the data that are verbally reported, but actually reading um, the papers and kind of going into the nitty gritty details of those papers, because I want to make sure that if I subject the patient to the risk of a procedure, that I'm actually giving them the best uh, possible outcome. A uh, pretty good study um, that is that is kind of dated now, but we still uh, I still base my my practice on it is a basal study that indicated that people who have a life expectancy of over than two years do better with an open intervention, and people who um, are more debilitated uh, do better with an endovascular intervention. So uh, on younger patients, um, patients who are healthier. I push for an open intervention, um, even though it's sometimes hard to sell as a bigger as a bigger procedure, bigger payout payout in the beginning. Um, so it really requires explaining to the to the patient that the the benefit in the end is going to be larger for them. Um, I'm also uh, very wary of any new technologies that come out. Um, I want to make sure that they are safe um, and. When I say safe, I mean safe to my standards um, before I offer them to the patients. Um, something new doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Um, 
So my philosophy also with, with patients that we are dealing with is that less is more. Uh, if I can establish blood flow to the, to the foot that we need to establish uh, with minimally invasive procedure that will be durable, uh, I'll choose that unless they are very young. So I'm going to throw a sort of maybe a hard one at you both. So I want you to both comment on this question. Uh, and the reason I say sort of hard is just sort of got to think about how you, because I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. <coughs> Excuse me. So here we are in the countryside seeing wound patients. We make our referrals to our surgery uh, comrades, both vascular and basic podiatry surgery. And not all of us across the U.S. have the referral base, the folks we can refer to, with the same level of skill that you two have demonstrated, you know, in your practices. Uh, that's why I'm saying this is difficult. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, diss anybody. I'm just saying human beings have different levels of abilities. And if you were next door, oh, it's an easy thought. Oh, yeah, send them over. Let's uh, get Dr. Klein. Let's get, you know, let's get you guys looking at them. But where I'm at, say that my choices are a little bit um, more limited in the training and aggressiveness and uh, availability around me to send people to. And if that's the case, what I want to know is, your input, both of you, from your standpoint, uh, that's advice for the nurse practitioner that's running the wound clinic in the middle of nowhere. And for the uh, regular practice, family practice doc that's not a wound player, but seeing their patient with a wound, and then trying to make the decisions on referrals and do we do something local or do I really try to line something up three hours away uh, six hour round trip for them to go see a specialist three to four hours away. Help us give that kind of an answer and information to the practitioners listening today. That's a little hard one. You got to dance through that one. Rob, kick it off and then give it to Emily. Sure. Well, you know, technology is great today. And, you know, with COVID that hit, uh, the pandemic with COVID that hit, uh, telemedicine has really kind of taken off. Um, so for, from my perspective, um, having a uh, referral group or having a set of doctors that you know, um, not trying to put myself out there, but I'm available to anyone who wants to run a case by me. So um, if I was in a rural area or in an area that was limited with specialists, I would try to set up a relationship with doctors that you know and you trust and get good outcomes. Uh, you can take a photograph without any identifiers uh, on the photograph and just text it. Um, a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, I find that's very helpful. A telephone call is as well. Uh, and now with virtual medicine, uh, it's pretty easy probably to set up a, a consultation from a distance and we can glean a lot of information from that. Um, also have the opportunity to review their records uh, with uh, an electronic medical record that might uh, talk with one another. So that's the first thought that comes to my mind. Um, Emmy, on your side, what do you think? So I actually think that um, if you're purely just looking for an answer, when to refer out farther out and when to keep somebody locally, um, there are, there are two, two parts of that. Um, number one, and I like to use that term, uh, is the juice worth a squeeze? Um, 
one of the first patients that Rob and I um, took care of was a relatively young man, uh, 62 years old, um, comparing to our normal population that was young, uh, who was um, very active. Um, however, he was, he was overweight, he had COPD, he had CHF, he has mouth kidney failure. Uh, he presented to Rob with a lateral foot wound, um, difficult to heal, but would possibly be able to heal that terrible vasculature below the knee would require, I tried to um, do an endovascular intervention, couldn't do anything, would require an open bypass. And even though this man did not have one single thing that would deter him from getting a bypass, the combination of all of those little factors led us to eventually offer him an amputation. So I would say first to look at the patient, not only at, the at his wound, but globally and to see if this if this patient really is a good candidate to have aggressive therapy um, or will he just do better with an amputation that would be number one and number two um, although we don't use wi-fi wound classification commonly because it's a little bit of a of a um, difficult um, uh, process to get through specifically the first couple times it is a very good indicator that shows if the patient will be able to heal a wound or not so I would say if really wondering, should we refer this patient out or not, just going through the motion of getting this patient's Wi-Fi score and the risk of amputation and the possibility of healing associated with that score would be very helpful because if somebody's Wi-Fi score is low and you are able to, uh, and it indicates that if you revascularize them, they will be able to heal, I think it's worth it. But if their Wi-Fi score is high, let me tell you from personal experience, I was very heroic in the beginning and um, this score really works. It really has a very good predictive value um, and could have probably saved some people some operations that ended up not being successful anyway. I agree with Emmy on that Whoa. as well. Um, SVS, the Cyprovascular Surgery, has an app that you can put on your phone. It's called SVS Guidelines. <laughs> And it actually has a um, app within the app where you can calculate the Wi-Fi score. Um, so I, I agree with Emmy on that. That's a really, um, a really good, helpful uh, piece of information, uh, more from the vascular side. Well, Emmy, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for considering a 62-year-old as young. Uh, that's really <laughs> Uh, just, you know, just to say that was great of you. Um, and then you guys are referring to this Wi-Fi classification, which I just want to say something about real quick, because I know a lot of our listeners actually won't necessarily know. There's so many classifications and different things. So wound ischemia and foot infections. So WI, wound ischemia, and FI, foot infections, Wi-Fi. And this is just a simple wound grade uh, infection grade, ischemic grade, and gives a a way of looking uh, and talking about risk stratification. So it's well explained in the upcoming uh, SAWC uh, presentation these guys are about to give. So definitely y'all don't want to miss it, but that's what the Wi-Fi classification is. And I actually uh, love the response because we do face the need of taking care of people and sometimes the resources for people in a rural area are not the same as in a big city uh, and we do um, we do have to make those hard decisions we are all aware of the increased mortality once you've done an amputation we 
are very much, we're all on the same page of wanting to save this limb and save a life. We very much are there. At the same time, it is pertinent to be realistic in your approach. And that's why we've done all the training and we're the doctors, uh, the medical professionals, the practitioners, because we've been trained. Thank you so much, both uh, Emily and Rob, for being with me today. Uh, great discussion. We love to talk more, but we're out of time. So thank you to the listeners for tuning in and be sure to check out woundcarelearningnetwork.com for more of our podcasts, articles, and videos on various topics in wound care. Also be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. And we hope you tune in next week for our next podcast guest on Speaking of Wounds.